I want to begin tonight's message reading from Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. Blessed. You will be blessed. Your life will be better off if you find wisdom, if you get understanding. And note that wisdom is not something that you possess by default. Critical, critical concept. You don't you're not born with wisdom. Wisdom doesn't come to you just because you live life. Wisdom is something you must find. It, understanding is something you must get. For the gain of her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. What? What? Wisdom is going to bless me more than wealth? There's nothing I can desire that is as significant to, to my well-being as wisdom? What, what about that, that special someone I've been searching for? What about the, that great success I've been training for, the, the, the corner office, the big house, the fancy car, the the respect, what wisdom is going to benefit me more than any of those things? Really? Long life is in her hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. And the Bible is very clear there are two ways you can live your life. You can live a wise life or a foolish life. And if you live a wise life, you will experience the abundance that God created you for. And if you live a foolish life, foolishness just brings brokenness and uh, death into your life. And the Bible is very clear that the wise life doesn't just happen. Uh, you're not going to stumble upon the wise path. Uh, if you just go through life, you will live a foolish life. And all of its uh, negative consequences will, you know, cascade into your life. If you want to live a wise life, you, you must look to the one who has all wisdom, who cares about you, who tells you how to live the life that He's granted you the best way. And so you look to God and you listen to God and you do what He says and you find wisdom and you gain understanding and you live life to the full. And of course, for us, ultimately, that's about Jesus, listening to Jesus, the God-man, god took on human form in the person of Jesus Christ. He modeled the, the, the way to live, and He taught us the way to live. And so Jesus said, I've come that you might have a life and have it more abundantly. And the wise life is the life that uh, listens to Jesus as Lord. Well, we've been studying Ephesians all summer. 
Today, our text is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. So turn there in your Bibles, if you would. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 15. And, and in this text, the Apostle Paul um, talks about principles of wise living. He gives us seven principles for how to live a wise life. And the way I'm putting it uh, today is wise people dot, dot, dot. And the, number, the, the first principle is this. Wise people are committed to wise living. In verse 15, we, we read, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Walk is uh, just kind of a metaphor for, for living. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Uh, Paul understands that if you just kind of go stomping through life uh, without being thoughtful and without being ten- intentional, you're going to harm yourself. Uh, you're going to st- uh, fall into foolishness. Now, this is August, sheep hunting season. Uh, we mariners like to think of ourselves as great sheep hunters. We like to hunt and uh, have hunted all kinds of animals, but sheep hunting is our specialty. And so we read Tony Russ's book on sheep hunting, and now we think we're awesome. Uh, but actually, the Lord's given us quite good success. Most of us have at least two rams under our belts and some goats. And here's a, a photo of uh, back when I was awesome. My brother Luke and I are on one of our sheep hunts. And we're in our whites so that we can sneak up on those sheep. I think that was in the Delta range. And look at my brooding. I I was just totally into the sheep hunting mode right there. I believe we were successful on that uh, hunt. When you're sheep hunting, you must walk carefully. uh, Because oftentimes, uh, the path you're on is precarious. And there is a safe path, uh, but you need to watch every single footstep. And if you just go, you know, uh, casually along and carelessly along, you will fall off and and you'll get hurt. And so Paul's saying, look, you've got to understand, life's like that. If you just kind of go through life without being thoughtful about it, without listening to the Lord... Uh, and you just do what everyone else around you is doing, you're going to get hurt spiritually. You're, gonna, you're going to be foolish, and foolishness brings uh, negative consequences into your life. So wise people start with a commitment to live wisely. They say, I don't want to be foolish. I want to be wise. I believe Jesus when he says... I will have life more abundantly as I listen to him and follow his teachings. And so that's what I'm purposing to do. That's what I'm setting my heart on. I don't want to be a foolish person. And of course, it's only when you make that something a goal that you can order your life to achieve that goal. Okay, so wise people, first off, they're committed to wise living. Have you done that? Have you made a conscious decision that, that you're going to live life God's way so that you can benefit from His wisdom in your life? 
Number two, wise people make the best use of the time God gives them. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. God has granted to you a certain number of days. In fact, the Bible says that uh, He knows the number of days that He has allotted to you and to me. We don't know it, right? We don't know if today is our last day or whether we have another 20 years in front of us. We don't know that. God knows that. But our time here on earth is limited. And so as Christians, as wise people, we say, teach me, O Lord, to number my days aright. I don't want to squander the time that you have given me. And notice it says, for the days are evil. In other words, the backdrop to our life is, is evil. We live in a sinful world, a broken world, a, a world that is uh, under the, uh, the dominion of darkness. And so many people in our world are um, entangled by sin and they are reeling from the brokenness of the broken world in their lives and they're, and they're under the dominion of the kingdom of darkness. So here we, here we are, the people of God, the possessors of the gospel, and dwelt with the Holy Spirit. And so what should we be doing with our time in a, in a world that is filled with brokenness? Well, we should play video games all day long. And we should spend our time time climbing the corporate ladder so we can finally get into that corner office and then we can retire early so we can go to the golf, you know, golf links and uh, become awesome at our golf strokes. Or we should spend all our time and energy trying to get that elusive Boone and Crockett animal so we're in the books. I, I do think that enjoying the creation God has made, things in moderation, uh, there is a time for everything. But boy, is it easy to squander your time. It seems a little, it seems a little, more, a, a little wiser to me to redeem the time, to buy back the time by rescuing people from hell and bringing the gospel to the people who haven't heard it and praying for people, and, and, and working in the church to expand the ministry, and, right? And so, wise people don't just live. They're intentional about the way they live. They think about time, and, and they're constantly asking, how do I make the best use of the time that God has given me? So that I hear, well done, good and faithful servant, not, well, that was a waste, Number three, wise people seek to know the Lord's will. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. God has a will for our lives. He wants us to be engaged in some activities and not engaged in other activities. And His will for our lives is... Uh, discoverable, right? Wise people seek to understand the will of the Lord because 
uh, He has a will for us, and that will can be discovered if we'll seek for it. And so wise people say, I want to know what my master wants me to be doing and so I can get about doing it. So how do we determine, how do we uncover the will of the Lord for us? Number one, uh, foundational is read the Bible, study the Bible. 1 Timothy uh, 3, 15 and 16, all Scripture is God-breathed. Profitable for doctrine, instruction, correction, in, uh, instruction in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has revealed in the Bible His will for the world and for us. And when we know, the more that we know, the, understand the Bible, the more we will understand uh, God's will for us. Now, it is true that God might also, through prayer, Seeking the Lord's will in prayer, He might give uh, you even a more specific direction than He gives in the Word. It'll never contradict the direction He gives us in His Word. And we can also discern, uh, discern the will of the Lord through uh, the counsel of other godly people. But the bottom line is, God has a will for you. You're not just a, you know, God doesn't just say, here's a blank sheet of paper go live your life however you want to live it, and I don't really care. No, he, he, he cares. And there's, he has a will for our lives that we want to seek to understand. And wise people do that. Otherwise, what happens is you live a foolish life. Fourth principle I see in this text of wise living is this. Number four, wise people... Avoid things which reduce their fear of sin, seeking instead to be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So, Pastor James and I wrestled with this text uh, to try to uncover you know, what's, the, what's really going on here, and why, why is it that drunkenness is contrasted with being filled with the Spirit? And we think it has, we think it has a lot to do with risk assessment. When you are drunk, you, ass, you assess risk differently than you do when you're sober. Why do we call alcohol liquid courage, right? Alcohol gives you courage to be dumber than you would otherwise be, right? You don't drink alcohol so that you have the courage to go share the gospel. You don't drink the alcohol so you have courage to say no to temptation. We're laughing, right? You don't drink alcohol so you say, no, I'm not going to engage, you know, in that or look at that or... You drink alcohol so that you can fight the guy three times tall, you know, larger than you and think you're going to win. You, you drink alcohol so you can jump that, you know, jump from building A to building B. And, and, <laughs> and you drink alcohol so that you can sleep with the girl you wouldn't otherwise sleep with, right? So, drunkenness, it it causes us to look at sin and say, that's not as scary as I thought it was. It's not going to harm me. I'll participate, right? Don't get drunk with wine for that's debauchery. What's debauchery? Debauchery is just kind of 
giving into the lusts of the flesh, living out of your base passions. Now, on the flip side, when you're filled with the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is influencing you and, uh, and you are appraising the wisdom of doing something, and you've got this Holy Spirit helping you assess the risk, all of a sudden you say, I, I'm filled with the Spirit. Normally, I wouldn't share the gospel with my friend because I'm intimidated, but now I have courage to do it, and I consider the risk of the backlash to be worth it because I love my brother and he needs to hear about Jesus. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're faced with the temptation, uh, you know, uh, the, the love temptation, and you say, you know what, that's, I know that's not good for me, and yeah, that might feel good in the moment, but I'm not going to go there because it would displease the Lord and it would be taking advantage of that person. And you see? And so, you know, Paul's very clear, don't be drunk with wine because it leads to debauchery. Uh, and so, let's not blow right past that. It's very clear, Christians are not to be drunk. Uh, when you drink enough alcohol that the, that the alcohol is affecting your judgment, you've drunk too much and that's not God's will for you and you're spiritually at risk, it's unwise. I think that would apply to any other substance, right? I told my dad I was preaching this, and he said, well, it's okay if you get drunk with beer. He was kidding, of course, you know. It's, it's the principle, you know, not the, not the particular substance. If it's, if it's, you know, smoking some doobies, uh, if it's uh, injecting, you know, heroin, let me press it a little farther. What if you're bathing your mind constantly with music that celebrates sensuality and it, it celebrates um, things that are not pleasing to the Lord, rage and revenge, right? Or the kind of books you're reading, what you're looking at on the internet, what you choose to watch in your movies and TV, does it potentially have the same effect where it, it desensitizes us to the danger of sin. It lowers in our estimation the risk of disobeying God. And the ri Is that wisdom? Or does the Christian person say, whoa, the wise person says, wait a second, I see what that's doing. It's, you know, it's titillating me. It's uh, you know, it's, it's riling up my passions. It's causing me to become, to feel like that sin that I used to recoil from is normal and not such a big deal. And, and I think the wise person just backs away from that, says, I'm not, I have a choice here. I can either, I can drink the, the wine or not. I can read the or not. I can watch the movie or not. I can listen to the music or not. And if that's going to desensitize me to sin, if it's going to, to, to reduce my fear of sin, that's not wise. I need to back off. And instead, I need to be filling with myself, filling, being filled with the Spirit. I need to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I need to, the Holy Spirit to, uh, to bias me toward righteousness and to uh, to make me more sensitive to the things of God.
So number one, wise people are committed to wise living. They make the best use of the time. They seek to know the Lord's will. They avoid things which reduce their fear of sin, seeking instead to be filled with the Spirit. Number five, wise people participate in corporate worship. I believe that's what verse 19 is talking about. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I think he's talking about getting together as Christians and singing. (laughs) Uh, Singing spiritual songs, singing hymns, singing psalms. And so, a couple of things. Number one, I've known quite a few people who tell me, uh, I hang out in the parking lot till the singing's done, then I come hear the sermon. Uh, and usually it's because they don't like the singing. They are very, you know, prejudiced in their, t- you know, music to- cho- uh, tastes. Well, I, yeah, doesn't say if you like the music, right? It says do this. It doesn't say that you, you're supposed to sing if, if you can, you know, have perfect pitch and are on key. You need to be like my dad who sings. And, he, and it's from his heart. The rest of us care. But I, I don't think God cares, even though we, we do. And we would say, if you can't sing very well, please sing a little quieter. Right? Now, notice... What's happening when we sing? Oh, by the way, uh, Pastor James said today, or uh, I think it was yesterday. By the way, who other than Christians get together and just sing song like little sing-alongs? Uh, we were trying to think about. It. We're like karaoke. That's not the same thing. Maybe like a football club when they have their big. You know, can you sing one? No, no but you know. <laughs> Their theme song, European soccer team, theme songs. We're somewhat unique in the fact that we, we regularly get together and we do these, you know, sing-alongs. And what, what's happening there? Well, number one, we're, we are addressing one another. So we are collectively saying we all love Jesus. We're all committed to living righteously. God, you're awesome. And when we say that, we're, we're, we are speaking addressing one another in the singing, saying, we believe. This is what we're committed to. This is our collective cry. And, and that, what does that do? It builds each other's faith up. There's something very significant that happens there in, in terms of stealing our wills and forming us spiritually. Uh, secondly, we are, we are making melody to the Lord. We're talking to the Lord. And so there are two audiences. It's, it's the one another audience and it's the Lord. Now, why, why is it not enough to just get up and make a declaration without singing? We could just get up and say, you know, great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, uh, my, my maker. Uh, why singing? Um, it says, from with your heart. There's something about singing that engages more than the mind. It, it engages the 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 whole person. It engages the emotions. Uh, and I, I remember when I was 19 in Bible college, and I had never up until that time ever raised my hands in uh, worship. 
my hands were glued to my side. I just never. So now here I am, 19. I'm, I'm down in Chicago. I'm away from everybody I know, and there's lots of hands going up. And, and I was personally challenged. I just, because I was so resistant to it, and I'm like, why am I so resistant to this? And, and I felt personally challenged to you know, raise my hands in worship so that there was, I wasn't holding anything back. And that was quite a breakthrough for me. And I, when I raised my hands, I felt that I had engaged at, an, at another level um, in my worship of the Lord. Uh, it wasn't that I was inauthentic in any way. Just for me, that was a freeing thing. And so I, there is something about singing that is, uh, goes beyond just a cognitive ascent of the truth. And, and so God wants us to be committed to him and, and, and uh, um, demonstrating, I think, to each other a, a wholehearted commitment to the Lord. Number six, wise people give thanks to God the Father always and for everything in Jesus' name. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, by the way, with sermons, you're not supposed to just have seven points in a sermon, but Paul's forcing my hand here. I blame it on him. But he just is going... I mean, remember the first three chapters of Ephesians were all theology, 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 and then chapters 4, 5, and 6 are just, here's the practical outworking of all this theology, and uh, he just goes rapid fire to all kinds of practical, and every one of these statements is so significant and important, we you just don't want to blow past them. So a wise person gives thanks always and for everything. To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always. There, there, here's what Paul's saying. There is never, ever, ever a time in your life when you should not be giving thanks to God. There should never be a moment, never be an hour, never be a day, never be a week. There should be no, there is, there should be no time in your life where you are not giving thanks to God. Always. Whew. which means there's always a reason to thank God. Secondly, in every situation, there is no situation in your life where, it, where you cannot and should not be finding reasons to thank the Lord. So we have a perfect example of this right now in our church. Um, if you weren't there on Sunday, I um, announced that Dave Mulholland had fallen from a ladder, um, uh, massive injuries to his body. He was in a uh, permanent comatose vegetative state. That was Sunday. Uh, the family decided to take him off life support, and he died in four hours. Uh, we, until the Lord made his will known, that we prayed for healing. Uh, but God chose to take Dave home, and mercifully, it was fast. And so now Dave is absent from the body, and he's present with the Lord, and, and his suffering is over. Well, for Chris and her family, it's a tremendous tragedy, a tremendous tragedy. And Chris, I've spoken with Chris 
Uh, and she, she is not saying, God, I'm thankful that my husband died. No. The Bible is clear. Death is the final enemy. Death itself is, is, a, is a tragedy. It's an evil. We don't thank God for evil. We don't, we don't say, God, thank you that my spouse is a drunkard. Thank you that, you know, my child was molested by a neighbor. We don't, we don't thank God for evil. That would be inappropriate. But there is still much to thank the Lord for in any situation. So here's Chris. I'm talking to Chris, and she is giving thanks to God. Not that her husband had died, but that she has the confidence that her husband is in heaven. That you know, Jesus had done the work so that Dave's sins could be forgiven. That da- da- she, had the, she didn't have to worry because Dave had been the kind of man who manifested externally his internal faith in the Lord. There was no question where he was. She was so thankful for, uh, for the fact that uh, they'd had the last five years an extraordinary amount of uh, time together and together as family. She's so thankful that there's coming a day when she's going to be able to see Dave again and that all their children are Christian. So she's giving thanks to the Lord for the Lord's goodness to her, to her family, to Dave, even in this great tragedy. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. I think that's significant. See, who are we? We're giving thanks to not just our Creator, but our Heavenly Father who cares about us and is taking care of us and promises that all things He is working out for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose Our Heavenly Father who knows what we need and He is not stingy and He's giving it to us. You see the relationship that we have? We're giving thanks to to our Heavenly Father. And, and And we give thanks to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there, I think what He's speaking about there is we are the starting place is our union with Jesus. We are united with Christ by faith. And that's where we start from. That's why we can have a, uh, that's why God is our Father. That's why we can be confident uh, that, that God is taking care of us. Because all the promises of God are yes in Christ, and we are united with Christ, and thus beneficiaries of it. I have seen unfortunately, Christian people squander so much energy and time uh, in anger toward God and, and lack of gratitude, and it does not lead to flourishing. Um, uh, an always and everything, thanks to my Father, through the, through the name of Jesus Christ, that kind of attitude will speedily get you through whatever circumstance God allows you to go, go through. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of attitude that's going to result in, in, in developing character and developing hope and going from glory to glory. And wise people know that. And then finally, wise people submit to one another out of reverence 
for Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I'm not going to sit on this one because next week is all about that principle um, being lived out in different uh, situations in the family. And so we'll really sit on that. Pastor James will sit on that next week. But let me suffice it to say that um, wise people uh, don't focus on themselves, right? It's not about, you know, wise people don't start with what are my needs? You know, how do I get what's coming to me? How do, you know, I got to take care of myself. Uh, rather, they are asking, how do I reverence my Lord and God, uh, Jesus cares about my fellow Christian, and so I'm going to actually submit myself to their needs. So it's a, a life of community, a life of service. A not, it's not about I'm most important. It's I'm part of, uh, of a family. So these are not, uh, this is not Paul's advice. This is not, this is not Paul saying, let me tell you what I've learned in my life, what's worked for me. I recommend it to you. Uh, maybe it would work for you, right? We often think that that's a reflection of great humility. Hey, I don't presume to know that whether this would help you, but just, you know, I just humbly, that's not what he's saying. This is not Paul's advice. This is, these are the instructions of God. This is God saying, you want to live a wise life, you want to avoid foolishness and all the pain and heartache that comes from a foolish life. If you want life to the full, here are the principles that will animate that. They're not exhaustive, they're important. <coughs> wise living is best, wise living doesn't just happen. So let me run through these seven again, and you just take a moment to evaluate yourself, um, and how can you be wiser still? Number one, wise people are committed to wise living. Have you made that, put the stake in the ground, made the, the commitment to a wise living, li a life of wisdom, not a life of foolishness? Number two, wise people make the best use of the time. How can you redeem the time more? How can you make better use of your time? What might you need to stop doing so you have more time uh, taken ground from the evil one? Number three, wise people seek to know the Lord's will. Do you, do you know God's will for your life? Or have you put the time and effort in to discern, to discern that? Number four, wise people avoid things which reduce their fear of sin. This is the, one of the ones that really hit me. You know, what am I choosing to, to pick up that's having a result of reducing my fear of sin? Instead, wise people seek to be filled with the Spirit. Wise people participate in corporate worship. Number six, wise people give thanks to God the Father always and for everything in Jesus' name. Is there something uh, that has happened to you, something in your life uh, that you have, been, not, you have been unable to uh, give thanks for, you've been unable to reconcile uh, with your 
faith or belief in God. Finally, wise people submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Stop trying to, uh, stop trying to get your rights. Right? It's, it's not that does that's not a wise way to live. I trust that the Spirit is speaking to you about one of these, a way that you can be even wiser still. Commit to that this week. Let's pray. Lord, we do, we, we do believe uh, that you have come that we might have life to the full. Uh, Lord, we, we do believe that there is uh, a foolish way to live and a wise way to live. And Father, I have seen so much destruction that has uh, come about through foolish living. I don't want that for myself. I don't want that for... Uh, for the people of Clearwater Church, Lord, may, may we commit ourselves to wisdom. Uh, may we be, be wise as we uh, look to you and learn from you and obey you. We want to make the best use of our lives. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.